shit. I think I actually figured out the intro and went live without like three problems tonight. Super excited for that. Um, so we are live. It is Wednesday night. Please remember, I'm going to start doing this every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time Zone, 7 p.m. I'm not waking up early. We're not talking 7 a.m. So make sure you're going to come in here and check these out because I build my whole schedule around this. I, I straight up ditched the poker room at the casino tonight to be here to do this with you because Wednesday night is probably the most important night when it comes to DFS golf. So I'm doing this stream. We're going to cover a lot of stuff that's super important for this week long. Uh, I've done a little research today that I can't wait to share. I felt like a little investigative journalist. Um, can't wait to share my results. For all of you that don't know me, I am uh, the Degenerate 75 at Twitter. Surely you can see it right below me here. If you're not following me on Twitter, go follow me on Twitter. I'm growing over there. And I'd like to, I, got, I got goals that I want to reach as far as a total number of people. Uh, if you're new to this YouTube channel, well, this is also the Degenerate 75. You can follow me along. Um, I make content. You know, you probably think, man, so many people make DFS content, especially golf content. What makes you different? Well, let me just tell you. First of all, I watch a lot of DFS content. And to be honest with you, a lot of it's boring AF. And the, and that's not, I would say that's half of them right there, just kind of boring, and it's a tough watch. You probably won't struggle to watch this. Um, second of all is, like, a lot of guys in DFS just kind of walk the line and say, ooh, I kind of like this guy, ooh, I kind of like this guy, and they never just tell you who's the good play and who's not. You will not struggle. I, I have no shortage of opinions. I've been doing this for a long time, and I can tell you who the good plays are and who they are not, at least in my opinion, because, shit, I'm wrong a lot, uh, and I'll own that. But most importantly, the thing that I bring that probably makes me different than a lot of the other uh, DFS con uh, content creators is I'm a very high-level player. I play in the highest level of uh, DraftKings. I've regularly been a top 100 player for the past five years in the Roto Grinders rankings. And, you know, basically it's been my major source of income for a long time. So I know what I'm doing. I take this stuff very seriously. And I basically share all my wealth with a lot of people without trying to big dog you or be too cool with you and just help grow the community that way. Um, so that's what I do. That's, that's what I am. And if you've ever, if you're on DraftKings, I'm modest 75 on there. Hopefully you've seen me at the top of some leaderboards until Sunday, as I always inevitably fall, like we did in the $200 single entry last weekend. Uh, I'm, well, I think I'm the degenerate 75 on FanDuel, but man, their golf content or contest sucks so bad. I haven't even really been playing. If you're new, you're probably thinking, man, this dude talks too fast. And probably, I probably do, but it's not going to change. I've had a couple people, I'll be like, hey, give me some constructive criticism. They'd be like, don't talk too fast. But I got so many thoughts in this head. I have such a limited amount of time. I got to get it out. So I'm just going to talk fast. Just go down to the little corner, hit the 0.5 times X, and it'll slow me down. I'll probably sound like a normal human being. So with that said, we got this Wednesday night stream. Every Wednesday at 7, I do it live. But this is called the Showdown Hoedown. This this channel, I guess, this most of the content I do, we focus on Showdown. Tonight, we're going to focus more on week-long, but we do focus on Showdown because Showdown, in my opinion, is where the last big edge is. The general community has been getting a lot more savvy about week-long and playing the game better uh, and, and just being more effective players. So we're not really chasing um, a, a huge edge there anymore, but I still feel there's a huge edge out there in Showdown. I mean, wait till, I, you know, I, there's basically the same five guys win at Showdown every week. Um, so Friday night, I always put out a round three showdown, uh, alert. So you'll have that for Saturday morning and Saturday night, I do a round four showdown hoedown. So you'll have it for uh, Sunday showdown. Uh, you can always count on those videos to be out. I don't do live streams on those. I make videos. I try to get them out by seven o'clock, seven thirty central standard time zone, but I do got to wait on the previous round to end and look at the tea times and stuff like that. And there's a little bit of production value for this amazing setup I have. So that's it. That's uh, that's basically what's going on. Uh, let's get into it. Let's start with just one simple question. Did you did you did you play Scotty Scheffler in Showdown Sunday? Did you? 
Did you play Scotty Scheffler? 55% on Scotty Scheffler? Because I'm pretty sure there was a dude on here Saturday night saying, I don't care. I don't care if Jesus himself is 55%. I'm not going to play him. That's just bad, bad game theory. Look, I'm going to, for those of you who've been here, I'm sorry that I repeat myself, but like, this is like rule number one of being good at GPPs. Guaranteed prize pools for all of you that don't know that. Tournaments or GPPs. If you want to be good at GPPs, you have to understand this. If you want to play six guys in a lineup and think that you're going to hit the absolute stone nuts, right? You're going to pick the six perfect plays, the optimal lineup. Maybe you'll do that once in your life. Maybe. If you play a shit ton of lineups over a long period of time, you might do it once in your lineup. It's basically a lottery ticket. So if you know you're never going to do that, or at most you'll do that once in your whole life, why would you play that way? That's just dumb. What you need to do is say, hey, 55% of people are going to own this one guy. And if this one guy goes out and plays poorly or just merely plays average, he's not going to be in a GPP winning lineup. In a GPP winning lineup, you could have six guys who did really well. And if a guy goes out and shoots a 72 like Scotty Scheffler, then you've already blocked out half the field. You've already blocked out half the field. Now you only got to beat 45% of the remaining entrants. That's how you win a GPP, being bold like that. And you think, oh, I have FOMO. I'm, I'm so scared of missing out because Scotty Scheffler is so good, he could have shot a 64 and ran away with it. Two points to that. One, if Scotty Scheffler shoots a 64 and does go out there and he is the nuts player for the day, you still got to beat 11,000 other people who also played Scotty Scheffler. So you really didn't narrow anything down. Second of all, if you think that playing conservative in GPPs is ever going to get you anywhere, I need you to go find your nicest pair of shoes, Put them on, strap them up nice and tight, and then go outside and run as fast as you can straight into a brick wall. Because that's going to be a lot more useful for you than just straight up trying to play conservative in a GPP. If you want to play conservative, check out double ups, 50-50s, things like that. You can play more conservative than those. But in a GPP, you've got to be aggressive. You are trying to beat tens of thousands of people if you're trying to win the big tournaments. I know this because this show, just this last weekend... What was it? The Charles Schwab. We had three GPP winners, people who tune into this show. Uh, my man, Alex K. I've already gave him a shout out. Uh, downside of me. Uh, he won the big 50,000. Alex K. Won the uh, $100 single entry. And then on uh, the late showdown, my dude, Carter's caddy won $20,000 uh, main prize in that one. Now, am I telling you these guys uh, won those GPPs because they tuned into showdown hoedown? Nah, I'm not going to say that. Probably didn't hurt them. Probably didn't hurt to watch it. But I am saying that that's three smart fuckers. And you know what smart fuckers do? They don't watch stupid content. So clearly that there's something to what I'm saying that these guys who are all tuning in are winning these GPPs. That, that has to be correlated. Um, plus, if you don't know, I do pretty well in Showdown myself. So, uh, you know, get in there. Friday, Saturday nights. We'll see you there. Um, all right. It's Wednesday night. Have you built your lineups yet? Talking to you. Have you started building your lineups? You already got all those guys you like and you had them all built yesterday and you just can't wait for tomorrow morning to come. But now news is breaking or the weather has changed or somebody's getting really chalky or popular and now you're stuck on that guy and you're oh, you're just so committed to Xander Shoffley you can't let him go. You shouldn't do it. Matter of fact, if you're going to be a loyal watcher of this show, I encourage you to never make your lineups. Make your pool, get a feel for who you like, the stats you like, but never make your lineups until after you watch this show on Wednesday nights. I'll be here every Wednesday night. I'll be doing the same format, covering all the same things and giving you all the vital information you need to know to make sure you're making the right picks to make you successful. You're going to make your own picks. If you don't know, I don't make picks on this channel. I ain't a tout, okay? I could probably charge people. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to help guide you. So... Don't make your lineups yet. I hope you haven't done that. I hope you have a good idea of who you like, who might be some nice pivots, who are some guys that I can't even talk you off of. 
But don't be making your lineups and being like, oh, this is the one. I'm putting this one in the $200 single entry. This is my baby this week. Don't do it yet. Okay, uh, before we dive into this week, I did a little research today because I, I get asked one question more than anything else on Twitter, on YouTube, and it's always about ownership. And really, it's a great question because if you, as, as the DFS community has gotten a little bit savvier when it comes to PGA, they have learned that ownership is really the most important thing. Everybody wants to be like, oh, I, I, uh, I picked the right stance this week and I picked the right players. But like, you know, that maybe makes up like 20% of it, right? What it really comes down to is knowing who's going to be owned knowing which of those highly owned guys is a bad play and knowing which of those highly owned guys you should get off of to a lower owned guy so that you have leverage on the field. So understanding ownership and how it works is the probably the single most important thing you can have to being a successful PGA DFS player. And everybody always wants to know, hey, Degenerate75, where do you get your ownership projections from? And it's very simple. I don't get them from anywhere. I use a, I use a consortium, uh, thanks Feinberg, uh, of uh, sources to do projections and I've done it for so long. I just know how it works. I mean, I've been doing this very, very seriously for four and a half years, been playing six and a half years. I know how ownership works. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a couple examples of websites, tout sites that give you ownership and show you how it's so flawed in its most basic form. Right. But I understand that it's broken and I understand why it's broken. And so because of that, I can use it and still get some useful information out of it. So I hope to share this with you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really good at math. I'm really good at analysis. And this is about to be some straight nerd shit for the next five minutes. So if you like need to take a nap and you're not into ownership, well, if you're not into ownership, you're not into winning. So, um, but if you're not into nerdy, uh, straight math talk, you might, you might want to like turn on the TV for a minute. Cause it's going to get pretty nerdy. So I went and looked at two sites today. And I went and looked at their ownership, their ownership projections. First of all, do you know what a total ownership should equal? All right. So this right here, I make a big spreadsheet. Every time there's a big uh, week for golf, this is my, what is this? 2021 US Open. This is from the US Open last year. You see all the players I have, which lineups I played them in and all of that. But we don't need to focus on all that. Really what we need to focus on here is my target percentage. I go through, I made my player pool. I have 29 players here, it looks like. And in those 29 players, I hope you know that your total player pool, your percentage exposure should equal 600. Okay, why is 600? Because 100% for each of the six spots in a lineup, right? So your target percentage should always be 600%. So, you know, I go in, I say, ooh, I want to have 23% of Rom and 23% of Bryson, 38% of Brooks. If I remember correctly, that backfired like hell. Um, and you make it up and you want to do, want it to equal 600% at the end. That's simple. That's like a, a sixth grader can understand that, that when you do ownership projections all this week, there's 120 players in the field, that 120, when you take the ownership projections from whatever site you use, and by the way, I'm not going to give away the sites that I got these from because I'm not here to shit on anybody. These are just two that I know that I could easily access their information. I'm sure all the ownership projection sites are fundamentally flawed out there because people can't do like sixth grade math. So it should equal 600%. Well, let me give you the two. The two that I looked at, one, the ownership, it should equal 600%, right? Because 120 players, they can only be, if you took a GPP any week, go look at the player ownership. Spieth was 29.71 and Xander was 26.42 and uh, Harmon was 19.44. If you add up all the players in the field, it would equal exactly 600%. 
exactly 600%. Maybe it'll be like 599.9 because some asshole forgot to set his lineup or something like that. But the point is, is like, it's going to be almost exactly 600%. So when you're looking at ownership projections and you add up their total number of projected ownership and it comes out to 648.2, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem when you see 648.2% because that right there is impossible. You can't have 648% when there's only six 100% slots in a lineup. That's a big problem. So right there, this site saying that they're 648% shows that they're 8% heavy on the ownership, 48 divided by six, is going to be an extra 8% heavy on everyone's ownership. So these are really inflated numbers. So when ownership comes out tomorrow, it's very likely that almost all these players are going to be lower than this site is projecting because they've inflated the numbers. They just randomly pulled these numbers out of their ass and they didn't actually do it based on a 600 point percentage system. The other site that I looked at, and these are two popular sites where people get a lot of ownership from, the other one I looked at actually came out to 598.3. And that's not that bad. That is within the margin of error. Okay. So that really kind of surprised me because that site has a pretty squirrely system for how they come up with their percentage. They basically just take how many people favorited any particular player, right? They favorited ROM and 50% of people favored him. And then they just take it and they multiply it by 3.13 and boom, that's their magic percentage. Amazingly enough, it works out pretty effectively to get you right to that 600 percentage points. So overall, their total percentage is going to be correct. Now, some players are going to be a little too high. Some players are going to be a little too low, but the overall uh, math is going to work out. Now that was the sixth grade part. Now let's advance to eighth grade. This is where you really start to become an ownership guru and understand this shit really deep. Let's look at what I did last year. If I want to play 600%, why not just go play ROM at hundred percent and Bryson at hundred percent and Xander at hundred percent. And the answer is really simple. There's this thing called salary and you can't just go jam all the best players in there. It'd be really nice, but then, you know, like it would be stupid. So do you know off the top of your head what the average salary on a DraftKings lineup is per player? It, it astounds me how many people don't know this. You get $50,000 for six players. Maybe you're not particularly great at math. That's $8,333 per player. So if you ever put an $8,300 person in your lineup, do you know that they're technically a below average salary player? And there's usually some pretty good players at 8,300. I think Neiman's 8,300 this week. So you got to know that number, that 833.33 number. No, excuse me. 8333 number is super important because when you are going to make your exposure, so you can see here, I had ROM. I wanted to get him in 23% of my lineups and Bryson in 23% of my lineups. And the reason that you have to be aware of this is because when you put ROM in a lineup, he really starts to affect how the rest of your lineup can be built because his salary is so high. When his salary is so high, it starts to block out other people you can have. And by understanding that, this is where ownership projections get screwed up is because they don't understand that so many of these things are mutually exclusive. When you play this guy, it's going to have a direct effect. If you think this guy's really going to be 23%, well, this is going to have a direct effect on what this guy's percentage can possibly be. And so what I do to make sure that I get the exposures I want, how do I make sure that I get 23% ROM? Well, I make sure that I weight how much I have of him times his salary. So for all of you who can do eighth grade math, you take the percentage of the player, you take his salary and you multiply those and you just do that for every single player. And when you get done, you divide it by the total number of players. And that number should come out to around 8333 because that's how much you have to spend per player. If it comes out to 8700, well, then you're fucked because you're never going to be able to get those exposures because you don't have enough salary to do that. 
So you need your exposure to those players times their average salary divided by the total number of players. I know this is eighth grade math. I apologize. There's a lot going on here. I told you it was going to be nerdy, but I'm telling you how these ownership projections are fundamentally flawed. That number, as you can see from me, equaled 83.36. So I was a hair high. And when you go over here and you look at, was I overweight or underweight on my, um, on my uh, 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 target percentage, you can see I was within one or 2% on every, almost every single player. And the reason that I was able to get so exactly close on my exposure to the players that I wanted is because beforehand I went sure and made sure that my players would average out to an average salary. Now let's go look at these two sites that I was checking out today. On the site where they said 648%, the average salary of those players, if you took, uh, let, me, let me show you here. If you took their, the, John Rom. And they have them at 17.5%. And you multiply that. You get 194,000. You do that for every single player. You go down here. You divide by the 119 players that are in the field. Because I think Harry Higgs withdrew. And they haven't added anybody new. That number comes out to 88.87. Nearly 8,900. That is insane. Eight, that's almost what? That's, that's five and a half. That's almost 600 too much per player. To have these projections be accurate, you would need to have a salary cap of nearly $54,000 on DraftKings. Not $50,000, $54,000. Where now all of a sudden, instead of the average player being Joaquin Neiman, now the average player is Sung J M. Right? That's just your baseline player. I mean, this is ridiculous. So when you see these Victor Hovland coming in at 26% and and Rom coming in at 17 and Rory at 18 and... and uh, what uh Colomore cow at 19.4 it literally becomes mathematically impossible for these things to happen this number right here would have to equal 8300 or less for these projections to even have an opportunity to be correct so these projections are ridiculous they're just they're just they're wrong i mean first of all they're they're too heavy by the fact that it's 648 and then when you look at the players there's way too much being weighted towards the top players the more expensive players and way too little being given to the lower players because that's why the salary is averaging 8,900. On the flip side of this, the other side I looked at goes the complete opposite direction. They're not at 8,300. They're not at 8,900. They're way down here at 8,067. So that means they're almost a full $3,000 less per player. Or excuse me, $300 less per player, right? And if you do $300 less per player times the six players, basically that would be like leaving... 1800 extra dollars on the table i don't know too many players with a brain that leave 1800 dollars on the table at week long you just don't do it right so when you go look at these percentages even though they're close on the 600 their projections are screwed up because they're not giving enough weight to the more higher end players their projections are very very rudimentary they basically just click how many people liked them and multiply it by divide it by 3.13 that's a very simple system to use and it's just not very accurate because the, the way they do it, when you go star a player and their system, when you star John Rahm or when you star Brennan Steele, they're basically just assuming that when you star them, you're going to use them in the exact same percentage of your lineups. And we all know you're going to use John Rahm and more of your lineups than you're going to use Brendan Steele. So that makes no sense. So when you do it that way, you end up getting this really low average. So this website, you can't really trust their ownership projections because they're not giving enough weight to the top guys. You go on their website and you see, ooh, Will Zalatouris is only 12%. I'm playing him. But what they're doing is they're not giving enough weight to those guys that are 9,000 or into the 10,000s. And they always come in heavier than that website shows. And this is why everybody in the industry gets so upset that people are wrong with projections. 
And these two websites, and I'm not picking on these websites, and so I'm going to give their name. If you know it, just shut up. Because um, this isn't time to shit on them. I could probably go do this for any of the projection websites. They just don't understand basic math. And I do. So I can tell you that this website, whenever I see a player, I know the higher end players are going to be inflated in real life versus what this website is showing. Just like with this first website we talked about, I know that these players up high that they're projecting at 20%, 25% are going to be significantly lower than that because it's mathematically impossible for your average player to be $8,900. So this is ownership. Once you understand that we all have to play certain players that fit into a lineup, they're all connected. When you play Roy McIlroy and John Rahm together, you know, you can do that. But then basically your pool of players would have to be a whole bunch of guys at 6,500 to make that lineup work. And we don't have a whole bunch of guys start at 6,500. At most, you might have like two or three this week that you like down there. There's no way you can make a whole bunch of lineups starting Rom and Rory and then just mixing in $6,500 guys because we don't have those. So if you want to do your player pool and say, I want 80% Rom and 80% Rory, well, you're not going to be able to do it. It's literally impossible unless you only want to play $6,000 guys with them. If you still want to have access to Neiman and Lowry and Zalatoris or whoever you like this week, well, then those guys up top really start to get diminished in how much ownership you can have to them because their salaries are so expensive that they almost instantly price you out on upper nine guys. So this is ownership. And when you understand this basic math of that average player costs 8333, their salary dictates their leverage that they can have their total amount of ownership and you add all these things together you can start to see well this website way over inflates ownership and this one way under represents it and i know these things so i can look at it and i can still see some value in what they're saying they still have a pulse on the market they still think this guy will be higher than this guy they just don't have the numbers correct and so once you understand these things uh, you'll get a lot better at predicting ownership. I'm really good at ownership. I've been, but it's largely just, you know, cause I kind of sucked at it for so long and I just picked it up and picked it up and saw where I was wrong. How was I so wrong on that? And then learning that people don't know math and that I was trusting websites too much. Um, that's basically what it comes down to. And this is the ownership expose. I, I might do more in the future just to show that it ain't just these two sites. It's all of them. Um, they're just arbitrarily picking numbers. They may have some basic 3.13 dividing formula, or they may just be pulling numbers out of their ass when they're projecting and not basing it on anything. So this is not an indictment on those sites. I'm simply telling you how you can get better at understanding ownership because it is the key to winning at DFS golf. By the way, be throwing questions in there because once I get done, I don't have too many more. I'm about halfway done right now. And once I get done, I'm going to answer your questions. Anything you want to know about this week, um, uh, anything, anything, players you like, fade strategies, ownership, I'll do my best to help you out. Um, maybe I'll hit on some of it as we're talking here, but if not, I'd love to answer your question. I'm here. I've locked out my whole night just for you. So do me a favor, go like this video. Um, please subscribe. If you haven't done that, get your best friend to subscribe. I got to get to a thousand, help a man out one time. Okay. My channel's going crazy fast. I can't believe how many people support this channel. I appreciate you all. The amount of returning viewers is insane. I truly appreciate you all. It makes me be that much more dedicated to the cause. So keep, uh, keep hitting the like button, keep getting some friends to subscribe and, uh, uh let's keep winning some money. All right. Weather. We're on to this week. It is time for the Memorial, which is a really great tournament. You know, basically Jack wants it to be the Masters of the North. Um, and when you think of it like that, that makes it kind of fun because, you know, the Masters, I hear it's a pretty good tournament, at least above average. The weather this week, I am looking, if you don't know, they're just up in Northwest Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Dublin, I believe is where it is. Dublin, Ohio. Uh, and you can see the weather this week. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. 
it's pretty mild and I'm pretty excited about it because I'm really tired of playing weather stacks and being like, oh, I guess I'll play all AM guys this week. And I don't want to do that this week. So I was actually, I will, I'll do it, but I'll bitch about it. And I was very excited to see we have very mild weather this week. It looks like, you know, tomorrow just completely even all day. If you're going to play showdown tomorrow, I don't really recommend it. I only play round one or round two showdown. If I see an edge tomorrow looks very even all day. I would bet the morning might play a quarter shot easier than the afternoon. Cause that's just typically how it always is, but not enough to really like chase an edge. Friday, it does look like it picks up a little bit more in the afternoon, but not so much that I'm like willing to like even say I would use it as a tiebreaker. I've been tracking this for two days and it's been kind of back and forth on the weather. Um, I don't think it's going to be enough to really do anything. And what's really important to me is this temperature. It's not going to get too hot. I don't think the greens will get extremely baked out. I mean, they're going to run fast, but they're not going to be baked out where these guys can't keep the ball on the green. So, uh, I don't, I'm not going to probably be playing round one or round two showdown. Maybe tomorrow uh, I might play some morning or Friday, excuse me. I might play some morning guys because it does look like the morning's going to be particularly soft on Friday. But, you know, anybody who's playing round two showdowns, usually a pretty big degenerate and they're going to be savvy enough to know this stuff, right? You know, where you really make your advantage on Saturday and Sunday showdown where guys have, you know, don't have any sixes of sixes and they're chasing and they're just throwing randos in a lineup. That's why I love Saturday and Sunday showdown. And that's why the show's called the showdown hoedown. Uh, Dublin, Ohio, you can see we got the same thing here. Pretty mild all day, both days, because we check more than one source. We're adults here. Uh, and then before you get too cute, do realize that there is some chances for some thunderstorms uh, on Thursday and Friday, and that could always mess with the weather. Uh, it could mess with the draw. By the way, I got to get some Topo Chico. This, this podcast brought to you by Topo Chico. Feel free to sponsor me. So if you're playing weather, and you end up getting one thunderstorm and you're like, damn, all my morning guys got screwed. Well, I just wouldn't play weather this week. Remember the players, how that worked out? Uh, all right, let's get into weather. Let's talk chalk. Let's talk chalk. Who's going to be the chalk this week? I can tell you. You want me to tell you who the chalk's going to be? I'll tell you every chalky player without even going and looking at ownership projections. I just know. Uh, Rom. I think Rom will be 15 to 18%. And now here is a great question. Somebody had this question for me and I loved it. Here you go. Is 15% Rom chalk? No. Is 15% Brennan Steel chalk? Yes. Chalk is relative to where they're at in the field. If you're getting the highest owned player in the field at 15% at a course where he's already kind of showed that he can dominate, it actually kind of has me interested in John Rahm. I hadn't considered playing him all week, but it just doesn't seem like the ownership's coming in on him. And I think it's because so many people want to really attack that 9K region that you can't do it when you play John Rahm. Because as I said earlier, you can't just do ownership projections and say everybody up here is going to be 20% because there's this thing called math that doesn't allow it. So I think as people are wanting to, are finding that they like these 9K guys, they find that they can't stick Rahm in there. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Rahm comes in at 15%. And Rahm at 15%, Pretty good play. Um, here's a good lesson for you. Notice here, I hope you can see my little rankings. Some people say it's too small to see, but if you can't see Rory McIlroy, he's number one in my model. I made a model here looking at a whole bunch of stuff that I find important. And Rory is number one in my model. Xander is number two. And Lowry is number three. You know how many of those three guys I'm going to play? Zero. What? They're one, two, three in your model. You got to play the guys that are great in your model. No, you don't. That's my model. That's something to consider. Looking at a model is not near as important. Taking uh, what the overall model says is the rank of a player is not near as important as their ownership or uh, leverage, stuff like that. So I'm just not going to play them. Why? Because those three guys are all going to be super chalky. So who is going to be the chalk? Rory is going to be chalky. Xander is going to be chalky. Jordan will be semi-chalky. 
And then we get to the real chalk range here. This is where people are really wanting to load up this week. Fitzpatrick. I don't think he'll get too bad, but he'll come in at 12 to 14. I bet Lowry's probably going to be the highest owned guy. I bet we see him at 20 to 22%. It's just a great range. He's been playing so well. He plays long, tough courses hard. I mean, uh, my first instinct was to play Lowry this week, but I can't play a 22% Sugar Shane. I can't do it. I can't do it. Hurts me. It hurts me. That's my heart hurting. By the way, the guys I have start here, those aren't guys I'm playing. Those are guys that I just want to talk about. So, like, don't be like, ooh, I'm going to get his player pool. No, you're not. I'm playing all those guys. Uh, Cam Young. You ready? A new segment every week. Who is the one chalk donkey I'm not going to play this week? Cam Young. Okay. Every week, he's going to come in at, like, 17 or 18%. There's one chalk guy that I just absolutely refuse to play. Do this for me. You go down into the comments right now and say, who is the one chalk donkey this week you're not going to play? For me, I am not playing Cam Young. Cam Young is not an $8,800 golfer. I know he's been playing really well. I know he looks like the next star, but like 18% Cam Young at $8,800? Like you want Cam Young over Sung JM? He's really better? Come on. He's three times better than Daniel Berger, who's cheaper than him. Is he? Is he? So that's my one big... Uh, I don't give picks here, but I will give you the one guy I'm definitely playing and the one guy I'm definitely not playing. And the one guy I'm definitely not playing because he's a chalk donkey is Cameron Young. So there you go. That's my one chalk donkey. Go leave a comment. Tell me who's the chalk donkey you're not playing. Plus, it, you know, like I like to engage with you guys in the comments. I'll always reply and it gets more people to come watch my pod, which is always a good thing. Uh, let's see. Other guys that are going to continue to be popular. Uh, Max Oma is going to be chalk. Joaquin Neiman is going to be chalk. So by the way, on that note, I might as well say he's probably the one chalk I'm going to eat this week. I'm going to try to avoid chalk, but mm, I love some Joaquin Neiman. I'll eat the chalk. Mito Pereira, he is going to be chalk. Uh, Patrick Reed is shaping up to be quasi-chalky. I don't think like deal-breaker chalky, but like enough to monitor. Like, are we really in love with Patrick Reed because he was good one week? Which, by the way, I totally tipped off last week. You know, hell to me. Uh, Chris Kirk is going to be chalk. And then this is where it gets really nice. Once you get here to 7,500, you have Aaron Wise, who's going to be chalk. But after where Aaron Wise, go 7,400 and go down. From 7,400 down, there's really only one player who seems to be getting any real momentum to be chalk this week. And that, of course, is Brendan Steele. Way down here at 6,600. He's going to make so many lineups work. So if you can find guys from 7,400 down this week, not named Brendan Steele, you're going to have incredible leverage on them. Uh, that's what I really encourage you to do because I just gave you the nine chalky guys that I probably would not be playing. Uh, am I going to play any of those? Well, I already told you I'm probably going to play Neiman, but that's because I'm a sucker for Neiman. But the rest of them, probably not. Probably not. Uh, all right. Some guys to talk about here. Uh, if you want a FOMO guy, call him Morikawa. I mean, he just always seems like he's like right on the edge. Like he just never quite figures it out, but he's going to put it together and he's going to win one of these tournaments by four or five strokes coming up. He's going to do it. And then we're all going to be reminded how great he is. When I was seeing that he was going to be 12% earlier in the week, I was like, I got to play him, but he seems to be catching some momentum. I, I would guess he comes in not as high as people are saying at 20, but I bet he'll be 16. But when you're that high in that top five guys, 16% is really not that bad, especially when you have Xander right below you. Uh, that, that would be, that would be, I think something that's going to keep people off of him. Last night I was on Chris Ebaum's show. He gave me his, wanted me to do my one fire pick. I went with Will Zalatoris. I will tell you my one play this week that I am playing is Will Zalatoris, but I made a promise, uh, to one of my followers. He said, Hey, you said you were between two guys. Who was the other one you were between? The other one that I was considering giving on Ebaum's show is Cam Smith. 
I really love Cam Smith, man. He's he's so good. And what people are going to say, because people are so stupid and they overrate the most dumb things, he doesn't have a good course history here. Yeah, he doesn't. He, it's right. He doesn't. He's like, what, 99th in total strokes at Muirfield. But you know what else he doesn't have? He also wasn't a complete badass back when he played then. He's a different guy now. He's a different level of player now than he was then. This course is comparable to Augusta. This course is comparable to long, hard, difficult courses. And you know who plays long, hard, difficult courses well? Cam Smith, number four in this field. Cam Smith has been rolling the rock like an asshole. He can putt. It is a long-term EV move, expected value, to expect Cam Smith to roll the rock well. So I love Cam Smith. I wanted to play Spieth this week. He seems to be getting a little chalky. I don't know if I can do it. So we're just really going to talk about some pivot plays and reasons you might should consider them. Am I telling you to play any of these guys? No, I don't care who you play. I'm just asking questions that you got to answer before you go make your lineups tonight. So let's, let's go over some of these good pivots. Hovland. I know a couple websites have said he's going to be 25%. There's not a chance in hell Victor Hovland is going to be 25% or that he'll even be 20% because look at the guys around him. He, his ownership is married to the guys around him. And if we know that Lowry and Cam Young and Homa are going to be popular and we know that Xander is going to be popular, then it literally just becomes a mathematical equation that you can't put him in those lineups. He's going to be overlooked. He will come in in the lower teens, probably 12 to 14%. And Victor Hovland is a guy that I do like at long, hard courses. Am I worried about him spending three years in the sand? If he misses one ball just off the green, yeah, yeah, I am. But you know what? You got to take some chances. Um, Ror, uh, sorry, I'm still looking at Rory. By the way, I want to tell you this. Roy McIlroy is number one in my model. I've made more money in the last five years fading one player than any other person in DFS. It's Roy McIlroy. So I'm so happy to fade him this week. Uh, Decky could be a good pivot in that range. He doesn't seem to have much momentum, and he checks the boxes at long, hard courses. He has played these difficult courses as well. Sungjae, he seems to be heading back in the right direction. I can kind of get on that one. Uh, but here's one that just no one's going to be on. You want somebody at 4% that could win you a GPP or somebody you could wake up Thursday morning and already be dead AF. His name's Daniel Beggar. And Daniel Beggar is going to be like 4.5% owned. And Daniel Berger can play hard course as well. Yes, he hasn't played Muirfield Village well. Yes, he's not coming in in good form, but like he's a really good player. Look who's right ahead of him, Davis Riley. Are we really convinced Davis Riley's a better golfer than Daniel Berger? I mean, maybe for the last three weeks he has, but overall is he? I don't know about that. If I'm going to stick with that whole, this is the Augusta of the North narrative, we have to at least consider Corey Connors. I can't believe I'm the guy who's hyping Corey Connors. I'm the dude who loses all my money fading Corey Connors all the time when he's chalk. And now here I am pumping Corey Connors as a really legit pivot play. Yes, his irons haven't been great, but I don't worry when great iron players are having a bad week or two because they're great iron players and they can figure it out. So Corey Connors is very live. Now, this is my trick play for you. Mito Pereira is 8,000. He is underpriced. He probably should be more like 8,700. If Cam Young's going to be 8,900, Mito Pereira should be at least 87. He's been playing amazing. He's an up-and-coming star. He checks all the boxes, and DraftKings has mispriced him by putting him at 8,000 flat. That was dumb. And because of that, this is what everybody loves to do in DraftKings. If somebody is underpriced, they all go play him. When you see a guy that's underpriced, you should do everything you can to avoid him because it's naturally going to drive his ownership up because people want to put the best golfers in their lineup. And Mito Pereira at 8000 is technically a below average price golfer who is playing amazing, who is a ball striker, who seems like he would be a great fit for this course. Whereas look at this other guy right here. His name's Brother Seamus. Seamus Power. 
is 8,000. If I'm being real, Seamus Power should probably be what? 7,200, maybe 7,400. So he's overpriced. And a lot of people are like, I'm not going to play. <laughs> no, I'm not playing an overpriced Seamus Power. No way, man. But that's kind of a noob way of thinking about it. the fact that Seamus Powers is overpriced actually really makes me like him because I know that when people have $8,000 left for that last spot, there's about a one in 10 chance they're going to click Seamus Power over Mito Pereira. And so what are the chances that he is going to get chalky when he's overpriced? He hasn't played particularly well, and he's the exact same salary as a guy who's going to be a chalk bomb. Because of all those things, I really like Seamus Power. Uh, he's going to come in at super low ownership. And I think Seamus power plays really long, tough course as well. When I was at the fantasy golf world championship, the live final last year, I had Seamus power in my lineup because it was a long, tough course there at uh, Jersey city at the Northern trust. And he did me very well. So maybe I'm a little partial to Seamus, but I'm telling you, you're going to get him at a super discount. Uh, Bryson, uh, you know, I think you're getting a little too cute playing him, but you know what, if you're in the $5 and you want to try to ship $50,000, you're probably going to get him at 1.2%. So it might be the right play. Let me tell you, I'm only doing five lineups this week. I'm doing, what am I doing? Three in the 555 and I'm doing uh, two in the $200 single entries. And then I'm going to take those five lineups and go put them in all the 88s and the 44s and all that stuff. But I'm only doing five total lineups. So if I'm only doing five total lineups, we're talking maybe 12 guys that'll be in my player pool. So I'm being particularly selective this week because at these tough courses, I don't want to have, um, I, I usually just can't find 30 guys that I want to have in my player pool that I'm going to go spam 150 lineups. So instead of spamming 150 this week, I'm just going to do five lineups this week and just put them in the high level stuff and hope those guys hit. Doesn't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to play some punts, but I'm just not going to play like 30 punts. Uh, Siwoo Kim. I feel like Siwoo Kim is kind of uh, probably going to come in about 12%, but I really just feel like he's playing better than anybody else in this range. The whole narrative that Siwoo is like this wild card. You never know what you're going to get. Um, that's not true. He's actually tremendously consistent these days. You go over here. He plays difficult course as well. He's played well at Muirfield Village. And if you don't know, when Siwoo's comfortable on a course, there's something to him. Uh, Mark Leishman just seems like a better talent than a lot of these guys in this range. But man, I haven't been playing him recently and it's been working out pretty good for me. But one guy that I'm going to have a hard time getting away from is Mr. Noren, Alexander Noren. Every time I think of the guy, I think of him back in the day when I first got into DFS golf, grinding out tough golf courses and grinding out pars and just being a, a scrapper. And then you see that he's ball striking. You see that he putts tremendously well on bent. He plays tough course as well. He plays Muirfield well. He putts well on fast greens. I mean, Alexander Norn, if he's going to come in at, uh, you know, less than 10%, I think you're a fool not to play him, especially when you have Aaron Wise right there who's the same price. And by the way, Aaron Wise, number 11 in my model. So the reason that Aaron Wise is chalky this week is justified because people who go make their little models, oh, I made a model and Aaron Wise is good in it. I got to play him. Well, yeah, I can see that. He's very good in my model too, and I'm not going to play him because I can play Norn at one half to one third of the ownership. And, you know, like I, I feel pretty good that Norn on any given day is a better golfer than Aaron Wise. Some other ones to consider. Old Killer Keith. Uh, let's see. I think there was something about him I saw earlier that caught my eye. He was not initially on my uh, radar. Oh, yeah. His irons were pretty bad at the Byron Nelson, but they do seem to be trending back. He's always great off the tee, um, and he can get a really hot putter. Something about Killer Keith. I don't know. He just – he. He's uh oh, I think I know what it was. I looked it up. I looked up Memorial. He's played here three times, right? The first time, lost 16 strokes. That's like that's like me playing the Memorial. That's terrible. Then he basically broke even the next year. And then two years ago, he picked up 5.6. So I just like that he's been trending in the right direction at this course. So Killer Keith is a guy that's going to be low owned. 
that could be a good one. Uh, I'm just going to start flying through these. These are guys that I'm just telling you to go give a look at. I'm not telling you to play them. I'm saying they just check some boxes that I'm interested in. CT Pan somehow became like a top 10 iron player in the world. That's never what I've thought. He plays tough course as well. He plays Muirfield well. Um, he's good with long irons. CT Pan could be something good, especially when you have Ricky Fowler gaining steam to be like 10% owned. Get, get, get the fuck out of here, Ricky Fowler. Um, here's one of my favorite things to do in DFS. Brian Harmon. <laughs> 37% owned Brian Harmon last week. What are y'all doing? 37% sharps. Um, yeah, Brian Harmon. Uh, he screwed everybody last week royally. So what? Now he's the worst golfer in the world. Now I can have him at 2%. I'll take Brian Harmon on a course that uh, is a second shot course where he's still ball striking because he had one bad week. Don't forget on that Friday round on the back nine, I'm pretty sure he made like four or five birdies and really started reeling them off. Brian Harmon will be in my most expensive lineups. Probably. Don't you go copy my picks. Luke Liss, Stewie Sink, Russell Knox, they're all guys that are interesting. Uh, you know, I was looking at ball striking. I, I'm just looking, when you get down to this range, none of them are going to be high in your model. You're looking for one thing, like, hey, Ryan Palmer plays well at this course, or, oh, this guy puts well on bent and plays difficult courses well. You're just looking for one or two things that might pop. I can't believe Kevin Strulman's not getting more uh, love. He plays hard course as well. He plays Muirfield well. He's been ball striking okay. He's a decent, well, he's never a decent putter. I take that back. He's decent around the greens. He's a green and regulation machine. He is good at par five scoring on difficult courses. That's important. Don't go just do par, par five scoring this week because par five scoring at the John Deere is not par five scoring at Muirfield. Uh, you know, uh, just because I'm a whore, instead of playing... Uh, Brennan Steele this week. Go give Francesco Molinari a look. I feel like he still has one last run in him. And last time I checked, I think he's been playing okay. Didn't he do okay at the PGA Championship? Yeah, I mean, I guess he kind of luck sacked around the green, but he did make the cut. Before that, the Byron Nelson, like he seems to have a pulse. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I he's shown that he can show up and play. Not a lot of guys down here. This is a week that I think is going to be a tough course. So I don't want to play a ton of guys because it's going to be really hard to get six to sixes through. I'm going to pick my uh, pool of 12 to 13 guys, put them in my five lineups, spam those five lineups and all the GPPs, see what happens. If you know me, you know that I'm trying to take more and more of my bankroll and put it over to showdown. I feel like I have more of an edge as a showdown player than I do in week long. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, all right. I, got, I gave you my one play. My one play this week is going to be the one shot here, let's change it. The one shock I'm going to eat this week is Joaquin Neiman. The one shock that I'm definitely going to fade is Cam Young. Tell me, who is the one shock you're going to eat this week and who is the one shock you're going to fade this week? Go leave it in the comments. I need some engagement. It gets more people to find my channel. You found my channel and you like it. I know because you keep coming back, so help me spread the love. Um, all right, we're going to go to Q&A now. I don't know. I don't even know how long I've been running. Feels like I've been going forever. So uh, a little Q&A here. Let's get going. Yeah, Victor's not going to be 20%. How do I scroll up here? What are we doing? All right, this time Q&A today. There is Q&A. I love your content. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Callie Jones. Uh, I feel like Jesse literally plays five to six guys, 10% every showdown. I always wondered this, but but I never did the math. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'll do some math for you. I'm a nerd. Numbers are fun. Hey, thanks, Tragic Natural. Well, Floppy will do my ownership numbers. Can't trust anyone anymore, I guess. Amen to that. Shout out to Noto, though. His model totals 600%. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know, Noto is one of the sharpest minds in the industry. He's definitely smart enough to understand this ownership stuff. I'm not saying I've discovered something that no one else has discovered. I'm saying that uh, it's amazing that some of the biggest tout sites out there don't even take the time to make sure their totals equal 600%. Truly crazy. Uh, let's see. 
fading uh, young Riley Mito this week, good or bad idea? I, um, you know, at a course this tough, I, 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 I'm all about fading Mito just because he's chalk. Riley, I've been harping on him for like two or three weeks now. The dude just kind of has like almost like magic beans. He just seems to like always get it done, even though he's not particularly great at anything. If he's going to be 12%, I kind of like Davis Riley. And I don't think he'll get too popular because 8,600 is a pretty hefty price tag, especially when he's sandwiched right there by Homa and Young. You just, you can't get all these guys in. It's called math. So I, I would play Riley out of those two. Is there a build strategy you favor? For example, two expensive guys, two mid-tier guys, two low-end guys. Um, you, you know, I, I this week, I, I, I probably my favorite build is going to be not even starting with a 10k guy because, uh, you know. I think that they're all going to get a little too popular. Um, you know, like I wanted to start with Morikawa as my first guy in, but I, I do think he's going to get to 16 to 18%. And I don't like Morikawa that much. So I think I'll be starting right there with my buddy Cam Smith will probably be the first guy in most of my lineups. I would like to do Xander, but no way I'm eating Xander chalk. So that's how I'll be building. And I'll probably get down and get one 6,000 guy, a couple $7,000 guys, and then two to three $9,000 guys. Be how probably my five builds will go uh, because we're adults here. Thank you, one guy. We check multiple sites. We're not Wikipedia. Week long. Do you have a certain cutoff in terms of ownership? We're almost exclusively blindly fade due to ownership. Well, in showdown, that number is like 40%. On week long, it's usually 20%. For me to play somebody over 20% in week long, I have to like just absolutely be in love with them because it's just a way to block out one-fifth of the field. And you don't even need him to miss the cut. You just need him to get T36. If if Xander Shoffley gets T36 this week, he ain't going to be in any winning GPP lineups. Basically, 20% of lineups will be dead because they played old Xander Shoffley. Fade Lowry. Yes, I'm fading Lowry. Play at your own risk. I do feel like Lowry is super safe. If you're going to play cash game, which who the hell plays cash game? But if you are, I would start with Lowry. I feel like he's a super safe bet to get you a T18. Spieth is my, is my chalk donkey. Amen to that. 20% Victor is easy to fade. Yeah, but is he really going to be 20%? Are you trusting sites? Is he really going to be 20%? Uh, I don't think he will be. It's going to be math. Doesn't allow it. There's this thing called math. Doesn't allow it. Thank you, Hoodwinked. Um, how many guys in the 6K range do you typically have in your pool? So in a normal week, I do about 30 to 35 players in my player pool. I would say of that, uh, I would probably say six to eight of them are $6,000 guys because I love finding those punts. I have one, I have, I've won a significant amount of money. I consider a significant amount of money over $25,000. I've done that six times uh, doing week long. And in those times, every single time, I had a $6,000 guy who nobody was on and that was what won it for me. And so I love those 6K guys. I make sure that I go find some ones that I like that are popping in one or two things that nobody's going to be on that I can get at one or 2%. And then I try to go um, get them at least 10% of my lineup. So if they do go off Stuart Sink at the PGA Championship, I think I had him in 30 of my lineups. And he was in a lot of my six of sixes. And I had some sweats. Unfortunately, I didn't have any Zalatoris or Mito, so it didn't really matter, did it? Uh, Fitzpatrick is my chalk donkey fade. Uh yeah, I I kind of agree, but I, the more I see it, I start to wonder, is Fitzpatrick actually going to be chalk? I'm sorry, I, I think he might come in at like 14%, and if Fitzpatrick's going to be 14%, I might have to get in there. I just think that in his range, once again, it, you just run out of money. You can't play all these guys. Well, we know Lowry's going to be popular. We know Young's going to be popular. We know Homa's going to be popular. So who's going to want to pay more for Fitz than all three of those guys? I just don't think a lot of people are going to want to do that. Uh, feel better. About not playing Rory. Yeah, I, I, I swear to God, just fade Rory. Just never, ever play him no matter what. And it's a long term. You'll win a lot of money because of it. Every once in a while, he'll bite you in the ass. and be like, cool, Rory. You're once every four years. You did something, asshole. 
All right, I have 40% burger. All right, that's ballsy. That's that's my level of aggression. I respect you, Mr. Aiden. So much Connors, too. Oh, now you're really talking my language. Uh, we're on the same wave this week. That might not be a good thing, Aiden. I'm way better at showdown than I am at week long. Uh, do you have a single entry build? Hey, let me tell you about single entry real quick. I don't. I, I, we're running long here, but here was my single entry from this last week. People suck at single entry. Did you know that? They are really dumb at how to play single entry. People treat single entry like it is cash game. It ain't cash game, man. You're not. Everybody's like, oh, I only get, I only get to make one lineup, so I'm gonna make it exactly who I want. I can't miss out on Brian Harmon. When I make a single single entry lineup, here's what I'm thinking. I'm only I'm gonna play guys I like. They're all gonna be guys from my player pool, right? I'm not just gonna go pick some slap dicks that I don't like. I'm gonna take guys from my pool that I like, guys I've selected that I feel comfortable playing. But then when I go to pick them, let's say that I have seventy six hundred dollars left. Well, do I go play four percent? Bez or do I go play 12% who was it last week I'm trying to remember Chris Kirk I'm just saying a name just work with me here right you always play the lower owned of the guys in your pool in single entry because in single entry people flock to the most normal conservative play so Brian Harmon last week in the $20 was 20% owned but in single entry he was 37% owned what are you doing this is a GBP and you're gonna play 37% owned Brian Harmon get out of here so as you can see, here was my single entry. It was third most of Saturday. It ended up falling apart Sunday, even though Cut Sweats told me uh, that I had a 3% chance of winning, and I really did. I had a great lineup. It just fell apart on Sunday. By the way, Cut Sweats, DGEN75, promo code. Go use it. You can see I, I only have one guy above 10% in my lineup. I had this there's nobody that one's heard of, Scotty Scheffler. I have Burger. And I just went and picked the guys that I liked that fit into a lineup that I enjoyed that were all going to be the lower owned guys. That's how you play single entry. Don't play single entry and play your six safest plays. This ain't cash, homie. You still got to beat thousands of people. It's a GPP. So why were you want to give up the leverage now? And, and, and uh, let's take somebody like uh, Tigala. He was like 8% in the big $20. But in a showdown, in a single entry showdown, people aren't going to want to play Tigala in their one precious lineup. So I got him at 3.6%. That's how you do single entry. People don't understand that. All right. Thank you for reminding me to do that. Playing zero steel, yeah, I, you should never play the $6,000 chalk. I'll die on that hill. And maybe he'll go get a T3 and I'll lose all my money. Won't be the first time. Uh, new to the content, but uh, but don't miss the show now. Price probably started. Birdie or better matchup. Rombers daily. Are these props too good to be true? Thanks. Uh, let's see. Price props. I don't know much about prize props, but like if I'm doing uh, birdie or better, I would challenge you. Davis Riley gets some freaking birdies. And Rom is a bogey avoider but he hasn't been scoring tons of birdies i'd look that up it might be uh not as much of a sucker bet as you think it is what type of build do you like is most popular balance stars and scrub consider skipping the 10k 9k range nk um i dustin i'll definitely be uh, i already kind of told you i think i'm just skipping that 10k range and i'm just going to kind of avoid that 9k chalk and play the pivots and the eights and the nines uh, that's kind of the build I'm comfortable with this week, uh, especially cause I'm only doing like 12 to 13 guys. If I start playing more Akawa or Rom or Rory, it really makes me have to open up my player pool and put low six guys in there. And I don't really know if I want to do that. Cause I don't like a lot of guys down there this week. So that's how I'll be doing it. Can you talk me out of will it? No, I, I got, you know what? I'm actually glad you said, will it? I bet, I bet when I'm, I haven't even started my lineups yet. Cause you know, I'm an adult and that's what we do. We don't build our lineups till Wednesday night. And when I go down here and I look at Danny, will I thought I had him clicked, but yeah, Danny Willett, I can't get you off of Danny Willett. If this is Augusta of the North, I've heard Danny Willett's won Augusta before. So, uh, I'm kind of in on it. And I bet even if he does get chalky, it'll be like 3.5% chalk. 
Uh, and to me, Danny Willett is objectively a better golfer than the other guys down here. So, no, I'm not going to get you off Danny Willett. Sorry, can't do it. I will eat the Fitz chalk. You know what, Tom? I probably will too because I'm starting to wonder if it's even really going to be chalk. I'm new to this. Where's a good place to start? Right here, my friend, on the Showdown Hoedown and every Wednesday on this stream, Mr. Patrick Norvell. Come in here. I am a pretty big-time player at DFS. I'm not like the number one player in the world, but I'm pretty high level. Uh, I know a lot of the high-level players, but I never big dog anybody. I know what it was like to once be uh, new to all this stuff and not understand everything, and now it's like the only thing I do. So I spread my knowledge for free. All I ask in return, help me grow the YouTube channel, man. Go subscribe. I got to get to 1,000 subscribers. Have you subscribed? Have you? Okay. We're going to do about 10 more questions, then we're out of here. Hey, Jen, great job. Do you like Cantlay? Uh, I like Cantlay for one reason. It's called the pivot. I don't like Cantlay's form, but uh, Cantlay, to me, of all the top players in the world, is the one player that really seems to ride form more than anything. He's not a guy that just plays bad, plays bad, and then just comes out of it. Like He, he slowly builds back to being good, and he has not been good, so I have a hard time believing that. However, just as a straight GPP play, I'm totally into Cantlay because he will definitively be the lowest owned of probably the top eight guys this week and we've already seen that he can win here all he had to do was like go rub some COVID on john rom last year just put and put some on his cup saturday night and then ha ah, take that rom it's true look it up it's a real story um let's see i keep planning on willett to round out my lineups i mean honestly it's not a bad guy it, like i'd rather land on willett than steel uh Oh yeah, uh, Mr. Answer. He, that's a that's a really good pivot this week. Abraham Answer sucked last week, let a lot of people down. Abraham Answer is like a top twenty five player in the world, uh, both in my opinion and objectively. He does play uh, difficult courses well. He does actually putt well on fast greens and on bent. I'm gonna go click that guy right now. Abraham Answer, sneaky pick. And I bet if I had to guess, Abraham Answer maybe eight percent this week. Maybe uh, Cameron Champ. I don't really want bombers this week. And when I think of Cameron champ, that's literally the only thing I think of. I think he sucks at everything else. So I'm probably out on champ, but if you want to know the truth, Mark, I haven't done a lot of research into Cameron champ. Sorry, champ. Uh, all right. Most content is boring AF. So, so true. This ain't boring AF. If you're bored right now, I got nothing for you. I got nothing. Uh, let's see. Give a uh, one six K guy. You like one six gig guy. I like if I had to bet the house on, you know what? Old magic beans, Kinsey McHugh or uh, McKinsey Hughes, even, uh, or Francesco Molinari. I, or I just steal everybody else's pick. Danny Willett. You know who I'm not going with? Oh, Brennan Steele. Um, one thing that's funny about this video is that I've been watching content like this for years. And here's the first guy who's ever told me that GPP actually stands for, Hey, that's what I do. There's so many things that, you know, when I first, when I actually get to a thousand subscribers, I'm going to stop doing these streams. Well, I'm going to continue doing the streams. I'm actually going to start making videos. And the very first video I'm going to do, I shouldn't say this because I know some asshole is going to go steal this. I'm going to make a video of all the terms in PGA DFS that people don't understand. That's going to be my first video. I've already considered it. And at the rate we're going, we're going to be there in like three or four weeks because I got to get there by the open championship. Go tell your friends to subscribe. I love you. Any thoughts on KH Lee? Man, my biggest thought about KH Lee is I literally saw him at like 1% projected ownership. And KH Lee is good enough that anytime he's 1%, he should be worth a look. So that's my answer to that. Do I think he's a great fit here? Not necessarily, but 1%. KH Lee's got a little bit of gangster in him. All right. When building for single entry, how far uh, the optimal objections is a good rule to follow? I have some coming in at over 10 points under the ceiling. Uh, 
I mean, what are optimals? I don't use that. You know, that's optimal lineups. That's just what some nerd put together with their little uh, system. And then they look at who's the best value based on players. And when you do that, everybody starts getting on Mido because he's technically cheaper than he should be. And he's a good play. And I just, you know, those optimals, I don't like them. Maybe they're good for cash game. But as I said, who the hell plays cash game? Get the fuck, get the fuck out of here. Uh, that's a good question, though, Dustin. I just don't use them, so I can't really answer you, man. I'm sorry. Um, all right, let's see. Last one, because I'm running really long tonight. Uh, how do you feel about Svensson? He played well here at the KFT. Yeah, you know what? I did have Svensson originally marked. Let's see, because I really want, more than anything, I want ball strikers this week. And if you don't know, Adam Svensson is a ball striking MFer. Right there he is, 6,300. Let me go check out Adam Svensson. See, and this is our last one. We can answer it correctly. Hey, he's not a great bent putter but he's not as bad as he is at BOA. So you just got to look for the positives, right? Uh, let's see. What's he been doing? His last one out, he gained shots on approach, which is good to see his irons getting fixed. I could get on some Adam Svensson. Uh, I do want to see one thing on him, though. Does he play tough courses well? Mm, not particularly. That's a little concerning. Um, yeah, I mean, once you're down that low, I guess you're punting anyways, right? So why not try it? Why, Man, Chang Kim looks good on the model. I didn't even see him. All right. Let's see. Cam Davis looks tempting. Good stuff. All right. Hey, all you guys, thank you for coming and listening. This was fun. Uh, I will be back Friday night for round three showdown hoedown, Saturday night for round four showdown. I will be here every Wednesday night at seven. There's no reason for you not to be here. Be here live. I got live viewer goals I'm trying to reach. Plus, it helps YouTube suggest it more. It would really be appreciated. Enjoy my awesome outro. Enjoy your night. Let's go win some money. And if you lose it all, don't worry. We'll get it back at showdown because, you know, we're good at showdown. You guys have a great night. We'll talk to you later. 